thank you guys. We are excited that God has brought you into the life of our church. And if you're visiting with us today, we would love for you to learn how you can be a part of what God is doing uh, in this church. You can text the word connect uh, to the number that's on the screen. If you're online with us this morning, we'd love to hear from you as well. And one of our staff members will follow up with you and will indeed uh, let you know how you can get connected to the life of our church. If you haven't checked out one of our life groups yet, you're welcome to stop by the welcome desk uh, on your way out and uh, we'll give you some information about life groups, whether you want to attend one today or maybe think about attending one when you come back next week. Well, we're in a series as a church called Live Sent, where we look at the thread of the Bible and how God sent Jesus into the world and how God has sent us into the world as we follow Jesus. I am excited that next Sunday we are going to have Jason Dukes with us preaching in all three services. Jason is the author of the book Live Sent and uh, was on staff at Brentwood Baptist Church when the curriculum that we're using right now in our life groups was written. And so I'm excited that he will be with us uh, next Sunday morning preaching in all three services. Today we are in Luke chapter 15. As you turn to Luke chapter 15, I want us to pray uh, that God would speak to us this morning. And, and for some of you, uh, you may know this, but uh, for three and a half, almost three and a half years, I've been the pastor of this church. And for those three and a half years, every Sunday morning, Dan Hinkle has met with me to pray with me whenever he's in town. Well, this morning, Dan, who's our chairman of deacons and also happens to be the mayor, needs our prayers. He's in the ICU uh, in Ohio as he was working there with COVID. He's doing well, uh, but he does need our prayers. So I'm going to pray for him and pray for our time and the word together this morning. God, we do lift up to you, Dan, and his wife, Melissa, and all of their sons and daughter-in-laws and grandchildren. And Lord, we pray for healing, uh, continued healing. We praise you for Dan's many years of service, and our desire, Lord, is to see him continue to serve this church and this community in a way that would honor you as he does. And so we just come to you as, as your children, as his brothers and sisters, and ask for your healing to be upon him. And we pray for uh, the many we know who, um, whether it's COVID or other things, have uh, family members who are sick and struggling. And so we just pray, Lord, for uh, healing where there may be healing and ultimately comfort from the peace of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that as we open your word this morning, we would be so aware of how good you are and how much you're at work. I thank you for the way that you are at work in the life of this church. And I pray that you use this time in the word to, to propel us further towards your will and ultimately your glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the question from Luke chapter 15 today is, will you prioritize the one over the 99? Or will you leave the 99 for the one? And one of our value statements as a church is that we prioritize the one over the 99. That means that we desire as, as a value to, to be a church that says, hey, we are gonna consciously focus on the one who doesn't know Christ on a consistent basis basis. And we're going to think about that when we do life group. We're going to think about that when we do service. We're going to think about that when we do so many things. And so as we look at Luke 15, I really want us to ask ourselves, is that a part of who we are or will that be a part of who we are? Have you ever lost something? You know, I lose my wallet, keys, phone all the time. 
And I lose my keys and my phone at like the worst possible time. Not when I'm like, oh, okay, I don't have anywhere to go. Like when I have to get out of the door. And with my phone, so I have an Apple Watch. And so it has this find my phone feature and you just, you know, ping it and it, your phone pings wherever you are. But the problem is I lose my Apple Watch as well. So I need to find my uh, Apple Watch feature to be able to find my phone. Um, I actually don't know where one of my credit cards is right now. I often lose my credit cards, have no idea where it is. I, I wake up every morning and check you know, our bank accounts. I'm like grilling Christy about if she spent $17.99 on Amazon or whatever, which of course it was Christy. But you know, I just wanna make sure that no one stole our information. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. I've never actually lost my child, but um, there have been moments uh, where I wondered and, you know, you don't know where they are. You know, maybe you're at a playground, you're somewhere, and you just can't find them right that moment. I remember a few weeks ago, uh, we thought our daughter went out to a neighbor's house, and, um, you know, she wasn't at a neighbor's house, so Christy started texting a few of the moms. She wasn't there, and I'm like, <gasps> you know, and we're like, Lily, you know, calling for her. Well, she was in a room with her headphones on listening to music, but uh, <laughs> we didn't think to actually go and look in her room to see if she was in the room. Um, but that feeling you have, you know, whenever something that is important to you or that matters to you is lost is the feeling I want you to think about as we look at Luke chapter 15. I think that's what Jesus was trying to get us to understand when he tells these stories uh, about something being lost. His point is that we would understand the way God feels the way he feels, the reason he lived the way he lives, lived, and therefore what it means to follow him. Now, these parables in Luke 15 are often told without context. And so we don't often understand like why Jesus is saying what he's saying. So I want you to look, read verse one and two here with me in Luke 15. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So a few weeks ago, we talked about when Jesus was at Matthew's house, he was eating with tax collectors and sinners, and the Pharisees and the religious crowd were like, why is Jesus doing that? And he said that he came to seek and save the lost. The, the physician is needed for those who are sick, not for those who are well. And so that is the backdrop of these stories that Jesus is telling in Matthew chapter 15. Verse three, it says, so he told them this parable. And the first is about a shepherd. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me. For I found my sheep that was lost. Now, shepherds were strange fellows back then, and I mean, maybe today as well. So all the audience didn't fully, you know, connect, identify with this story that Jesus is telling, but they all understood what Jesus was telling because they were very familiar with the idea of a shepherd. Shepherds were typically of modest, lower working class, and, and the sheep were his assets. You think of this guy like a small business owner. And so he has this small flock of sheep, and, you know, one sheep would be valuable to him. I mean, he probably named them like Agnes and Gertrude and Beatrice and Bob. Like he probably had that kind of weird relationship with the sheep. And so when this one goes away, it, it's money to him. It's valuable to him. He goes to find the sheep. And he says to his neighbors and his friends, I found the sheep. Rejoice with me. 
Jesus says in verse seven, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, context matters here and everywhere. Often when people hear this, they think that it means we shouldn't care about the 99. Like the needs of Christians don't matter. Like one of the silliest church leadership philosophies is that we don't teach theology or doctrine because we're trying to reach lost people. So we don't really wanna get into the word. And that's just like the silliest thing if you're thinking about what it means to be a church. In no way is this saying that believers shouldn't be growing and studying the word together and all those things. Deals, But what this is saying is it's saying we have to realize what makes heaven full of joy is a sinner coming to repentance. Remember who Jesus is talking to. And when you remember who Jesus is talking to, then you understand what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is that the joy of heaven is one sinner who realizes he or she needs God's grace not multitudes who think they are good without grace. The joy of heaven is one sinner who realizes he or she needs God's grace, need God's grace, not multitudes who think they are good without grace. The religious crowd thought they were good. They had earned heaven. They deserved God's blessing because of who they were. He gives another parable about a woman who loses a coin. Verse eight, or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I have found the coin that I had lost. Now this seems like it's either a widow or a single woman based on the message here. So she probably doesn't have a lot I'm not sure the value of these coins in this passage, but since the Greek word drachma is used, which was roughly the same as a denarius, which is the common man's day's wages, let's go with that. So she probably has about 10 coins here worth about 30 to $40 each, 40, let's say $40 each. So she loses one. That's all she has. That's a big deal to her. That's valuable to her. And so she's going to light her lamp. She's going to turn over the house to find that because that's a lot of buying power for her. And when she finds it, she rejoices and she tells her friends, I found that coin I was looking for. Jesus says in verse 10, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is his message to the Pharisees. They are asking, why are you spending the time you spend with who you spend it with and Jesus says, here's why. This is the message Jesus is trying to communicate. This is why I live the way I live. The joy of heaven was the purpose for the rhythms of Jesus's life. This is why Jesus did what he did when he was on earth, because he was living for the joy of heaven. You want to know why I do what I do? Why I receive sinners and eat with them? Because the shepherd goes after the lost sheep because the woman looks for the lost coin. And the joy of heaven is someone coming to repentance. And I, Jesus, and the Father are one, he says. 
In John chapter 10, and I think in your Bible app, it accidentally, in bulletin, it actually says John chapter 15. But in John chapter 10, verse 24 through 30, here are the words of Jesus. It says, so the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe the works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. He says, the Father's message is that you would have eternal life. That's the Father's will, and that's what I am living for. I and the Father, Jesus says, are one. And his third parable in Luke chapter 15 is about a father. Luke chapter 15 verse 11 says, and he said there was a man <clears throat> who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. So this man had an inheritance. Two-thirds of his inheritance would go to his older son because the firstborn son received the double portion, and a third of it would go to his younger son since he only had two sons. Normally, this inheritance would be given after you died. It would be received after you died, much like it is today. Based on what we learn later in this text, this father was rather wealthy. And the younger son says to him, I don't care about being with you anymore. I want my inheritance now. Basically, he says, my life would be better if you were dead, dad. I have five children. The thought of any of them looking at me in the eyes and saying to me, the best case scenario for my life is that you would die. The second, base can, second best case scenario, dad, is that you would cash in your retirement and liquidate your assets and give me what you plan to leave me, which I'm only 38, so it's not a lot at this point, so don't get excited. So that I can enjoy it now. Well, to think of my children telling me that is devastating. When we say to God, God, I want what you have to offer me. I want a family. I want a house. I want a job. I want the vacations. I want comfort but I don't really want to spend time with you. That's what we're saying to God. Friedrich Nietzsche, the famous atheist philosopher, said that God is dead, and he said that so that society could function without God, but I would say that many professing Christians function as if it would be better if God were dead. It would be better if we never had to see God and we could just have the stuff that God can give us. And so this younger son says to his dad, I want it now. I don't want to be around you anymore. I want it and I want to go. And the father gives it to him. Verse 13. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. The Greek verb that's used here means that he converted the property to cash. So he sold off some of the property, some of his father's stuff for liquidity right now, and he lived with abandon. He did whatever he wanted to do, not worrying about the consequences of what that brought. 
And verse 14 says, when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. He spent everything he had and at the same time, the economy collapsed and he had nothing and he was hungry and he was in need of shelter. And verse 15 says, so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. Now this is being clearly communicated to a Jewish audience that a Jewish man went to a Gentile country, got one of the only jobs that he could get feeding the pigs. Jews considered pigs to be unclean. They wouldn't eat them, they didn't wanna touch them, and here he is getting a job feeding the pigs. And verse 16 says, and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. There's a saying, a Jewish saying, that when a Jew eats a pig's pod, he repents. It means that things have gotten so bad for a Jew to have to get to this place that it's time to realize your life is a wreck and you need God's help. That's how bad things have gotten for him. Now, I realize that by understanding the context, the Jewish audience, that it brings more meaning, I guess, but I'll be honest with you, I didn't need the cultural context to realize that wanting to eat with the pigs is pretty bad. And so verse 17 says, But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He went from being a fortunate son to dumpster diving at a restaurant where he bus tables. He was going to inherit the family inheritance and business, and now he's a poor farmhand who's jealous of what the animals eat. And he says, I was a son, but even my father's servants have it better than I have it now. So I'm going to go back to him and I'm going to cry out to him for mercy. He had not done this yet. He was just thinking about it. He was planning on doing this. He's going over how he's going to say this to his father. And verse 20 says, he arose and he came to his father. And as he's walking to his father and he's thinking about how he's going to say it and how he's going to beg to be a slave, it says, by while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. That means love moved inside of him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Listen, This is distinctive even today for a distinguished Middle Eastern patriarch in a robe to run, in a robe 
to run. And he runs up and he kisses his son, which was a sign of respect in that day. And he puts a robe on him, symbolizing his provision of him. And he gives him his signet ring. Your signet ring was what was really the authority to make business transactions for you. And sons would have rings of their father and they could sign with full authority of the father for things. And slaves would typically be bare feet and this father put shoes on on his son and he says my son was dead he did not know what had happened to his son but here he is he's alive again could you imagine this your child has run away you don't know what happens to them and you see them again after years they're alive they were lost and now they are found and it's time to celebrate it's time to throw a party listening to me today some of you are the lost sheep you're the lost coin you're the prodigal and the point of these parables is for you to know the father's heart which has always been the father's heart several hundred years before Jesus is telling these stories in Isaiah 53 verse 6 it says all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned every one to his own way. Every one of us has been like a sheep who wandered off thinking we could find green pastures for ourselves, leaving the protection of our shepherd. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the good news is that several hundred years before Jesus is telling the story, God said this in Isaiah 53, verse 6, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. God had made a plan for those who have turned from him to come home. Fully righteous, fully restored, robe, signet ring, shoes on our feet, fat and calf killed for us. That's the joy of our father. That's the joy of heaven. Notice, the shepherd himself in the story goes to look for the sheep. The woman searches for the coin, and the dad runs to the son. Regardless of how much we have dishonored him, our father eagerly welcomes us home. Regardless of how much you have dishonored him, how it is you have lived up until this moment right now, Your Father in heaven eagerly welcomes you home. Go to him. And Jesus is telling the Pharisees, that's why I'm here. That's why I live the way I live. That's why I spend the time I spend with sinners. And fittingly, for those who were listening at that point, and for those of us in this room And listening online this morning, the story doesn't end here. Verse 25, it says, Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. So he must have been Baptist because he didn't understand what music and dancing was. (laughs) And he said to him, Your brother has come. 
And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The father's message to this older brother is, you haven't lost your inheritance. You haven't lost anything. Now, all that is mine is yours. Now, why is Jesus telling this parable? Well, again, he's talking to the Pharisees who are asking, why does Jesus, who claims to be of God, receive sinners and tax collectors? This was their problem with Jesus. Their problem was, we serve God, so that's who should be celebrated. We're the good guys, so everything that's being spent on the younger brother is taking away from the older brother. The issue here in this passage is that the joy of the son of the older brother is not the same as the joy of the father. Is your joy the same as our father's joy? Is what brings you joy the same thing that brings God joy? The joy of our father is the reconciliation of sons and daughters. Is that your joy? Is that your joy? This is what should fill our hearts with purpose and gladness. We are talking about living sin. We are talking about how we're gonna go to heaven and be with Jesus in glory forever. And God has gifted us with leaving us on this earth so that people would be, he's given us the ministry of reconciliation so that people would be reconciled to God. And we should be about that. We, every year when Easter comes up, we talk about how on Easter Sunday, if you invite people to come to a church service with you, they are so much more likely, even the ones who never go to church. We should be thinking about who we can invite to join us for church on Easter Sunday right now. What I guarantee you is they will hear the gospel. They will hear that Jesus came to save them. We should be so focused on that Sunday every year because of the opportunity that it gives us. But we shouldn't just be focused on one Sunday a year. In our life groups as a church, we should realize we want to make room for new people. The reason we talk about multiplication is because we recognize that when a group hits a certain size, there's only so much you can connect with. And what happens is it ends up being the same people who talk to each other all the time and new people have a hard time get connecting. So if we care 
about that. We have to make new groups. It's something we have to do. But think about the new people who might not know Jesus who would get plugged in into the life of our church family. As a church, we have to say, how can we begin to reach out more and more to this community and serve this community so that they would see who Jesus is? As individuals, we need to say, how can I serve? How can I use my time? How can I use my money so that people might enter into heaven? Are you with me on that? Are you with me on that? Because if you're not, can you really say you're living for God? Can you really say I'm living for what the Father wants? You see, the older brother, he's also lost. Now, he might not be lost in squandering everything God the Father has given him, but he's lost in his moralism. And if you pay attention, the older brother still sees everything that the father has as the goal, as being for him. One brother's motivation is, hey, I want all this now, and I'm going to be wild. And the other one says, I'm going to be good, and that's how I'm going to get the father's blessings. But I don't necessarily want to know the father's heart because his joy was not the same as the father's joy. The joy of heaven was the purpose for the rhythms of Jesus' life, and it should be the purpose for the rhythms of our life. The passage in 2 Corinthians 5, which says we've been reconciled to God, it says all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We've been reconciled to God, and God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Just as the joy of the Father was the purpose for the rhythms of Jesus' life, the joy of the Father should be the purpose for the rhythms of our life. The decisions we make, how we spend our time, who we spend our time with, what we do, should all be revolved around the joy of our Father. And so the ultimate question for you and I today is whether we see Jesus as our purpose or just a means to our purpose? Is Jesus our purpose or is he the means to our purpose? And if he's our purpose, then we reorient our lives around that purpose. When we realize who we are and who Jesus is, we reorient reorient our lives around that purpose because we realize who we are in the story. We're the prodigal. We're the prodigal. And as the prodigal who's been reconciled to God, we we decide, are we gonna act like this older brother here? And if you say, well, I think I am the older brother, then you're lost. I love you, but you're lost. If you think, hey, uh, I've lived my life well and I deserve God's blessing, then you don't realize Isaiah 53, 6. Every one of us like sheep have gone astray. And then we see where our heart should not be in this picture of the older brother. But what all of this is getting to, what all the Bible's getting to, is that Jesus, he is our true older brother. 
Jesus is our true older brother. And what Jesus is telling the Pharisees, why are you the way you are, Jesus? Why do you do the things you do, Jesus? Why do you spend the time you spend with the people you spend with? He says, I'm searching for the lost sheep. I'm searching for the lost coin. I'm going, I'm going to rescue my brother. Romans 8, 28 and 29 says, we know for, that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. That Jesus would be the true older brother who would leave the father's house risking his inheritance so that we might come home. You see, Jesus went out looking for the younger brother at his own expense. Jesus was stripped of his royal garment so that we could be robed in the righteousness of our father. Jesus' hands, which were the very hands of God, were nailed to the cross so that we might be given the authority of God in our lives again. And Jesus was what was sacrificed so that there would be a party in heaven. And to live sent means to realize what Jesus has done for us in reconciling us to God and to live our lives so that others would see him. And if we know the Father, that's our joy. That's our joy, is what the Father takes joy in. Will you pray with me? Father, I pray this morning for the one who's run. They're the lost sheep, they're the lost coin, they're the younger brother, the prodigal son. And they've run from you, Lord. But in this moment, they've come to themselves and they realize being a servant of God would be better than where I am right now. And I pray that they would go home. But God, I pray that they realize that in the story of our Heavenly Father and Jesus, Jesus is out looking for us. He has come to the earth for us and he takes us home. And we are sons and daughters in our father's house. And God, fill your church, fill your brothers, your sons and daughters, fill my brothers and sisters in Christ in this room and watching online this morning with the joy of our father and help us to live our lives in anticipation of people being welcomed home. And I pray you would stir in our hearts. And God, I pray that you would begin to help us to live sent, to see people reconciled to God. Praise Jesus for that gift. Fill us with your joy and stir, use us for your glory because you're the only one that deserves glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.